Good morning, everyone. That was a full minute on the timer, and it's up. Great to see everyone here. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. My name is Amanda, and I serve here in House Group. And House Group is a great place to get started if you are just wanting to meet more people around here and maybe see some people throughout the week and not only on Sundays. So if you are interested in checking out a house group, check out the Welcome Center, which is in the atrium for the different locations around the city of where you can find a house group during the week. And if it's your first time here, or one of your first times here, we're really thankful that you're joining us this Sunday. We're just honored that you're spending part of the day with us. And we'd love to give you a Vineyard Worship CD just as a gift to thank you for coming to join us today. And you can pick that up at the Welcome Center, which is out in the atrium. So when you like exit these doors, the big area out there is the atrium. That'll also give you some more information about the church as well. And there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. If you wouldn't mind to fill that out and leave it in the offering later on in the service when we receive it, or you can leave that at the Welcome Center as well. That just lets us get to know a little bit more about you and who all's here and coming and hanging out with us. So later on in the service, we will be receiving the offering, and you can make checks out to Vineyard Northwest, and there are giving envelopes also in the seat pocket in front of you, and we also have giving available through our mobile app, so you can check that out as well. All right, so there are a few things coming up around here that I'd like to bring to your attention. And first is the financial piece and the prophetic courses that we are offering on Tuesday night. So both of those courses had awesome turnouts this past week. They started last Tuesday, and they're both full. So if that's something that you're interested in, yeah, it's awesome. They're both full. So it's buzzing around here on a Tuesday night. And if that's something that you are interested in attending at some point, just stay posted in the program and listen up for announcements. We'll be offering those at later dates as well. So secondly, we're going to actually take a quick look at a video, and then I'll explain what we are offering here through that video. A divorce can leave you with many questions and few answers. How can God let this happen to me after all these years? Well, I reacted. Susan brings her new boyfriend to Don's recital. How will I find a job? My resume hasn't been updated in eight years. Should I start dating again? I don't know. Should I keep the house or sell it? Oh, why can't I get my energy back again? Do people think I was the problem in the marriage? Will the kids be able to see their grandmother again? If your divorce or separation has left you confused and fearful about the future, you don't have to go through it alone. There's help for the pain and hurt you are feeling. So coming up in the next few months around here, we're going to be having a few different divorce care events. And so the first one is called Divorce and Beyond. So this is a one-day seminar, and it's designed to be like a first step and just help you start the healing process of going through a separation or a divorce. And this is March 3rd from 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Sharonville Convention Center. Um, and secondly, we'll be having divorce care classes here at BCNW. And that, those will run on Tuesday nights for 13 weeks, and that will start March 13th, and it will be from 6.30 to 8.30. And those are open, it's like an open group, so you don't have to register to come to it, and there will be child care available. And so if you know someone that's maybe in your neighborhood or just in your group of friends, the little 
flyer in your program will give you more information about the divorce care and the classes offered here. But feel free to share this with them as well and invite them to attend something and start to get some healing as well. So lastly, you can check in the program for more events that are going on in the teens and kids and youth ministry um, and family group and house group and outreach. So just check, take a look at your program for that. And you can also check out the mobile program through the VCW mobile app that you can download on your phone. So now we're going to actually watch one more video of an awesome vineyard conference that's coming up. And then after that, Van, our senior pastor, will be up to share the message with us. Since the turn of the century, the landscape of our world has been changed dramatically. People face overwhelming challenges, tragedy, tensions in life, and yet look less to the church for answers. But what would it look like for the people of God to be the change agents, to be people of the presence, to be revival in our world, to release culture rather than react to it, to release more love, more power to a chaotic and hurting world. Hey, good morning, everyone. If you've never been to uh, one of the conferences, a vineyard conference, I'd highly recommend that you go. This is going to be very powerful. It's in Champaign, Illinois, which is about a three and a half hour drive from here. A number of people from the church are going. If uh, you can find a way to go and uh, you uh, want help finding a ride or you want a carpool, my wife, Lori, is the person you should speak to. Would you stand, please, Lori? Isn't she pretty? Yeah. Find Lori and let her know that uh, you want to connect with others uh, to get a ride there, okay? All right, awesome. Hey, how many of you know that this is Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, I'm wondering, do we have any uh, Patriots fans in the room? Come on, be brave. Raise your hand up. All right, all right. Any Eagles fans? All right, all right. Now, in order to uh, maintain peace, what we're going to do, we're going to have communion later in the service, and so we'll have all the Eagles fans on this side and the Patriots fans on on this side. What? No? No? Okay. No, I just got a new word. The Patriots fans are going to have communion out in the parking lot. Why do we all hate the Patriots? I mean, I, I don't hate them anymore, but why do people, uh, yeah, they're so good. You know, they are so good. If you watched the Super Bowl last year, you saw them at the, at the end of the half, they were behind 21 to 3. Now, I guarantee you, almost every team in the NFL would have given up at that point. Patriots didn't. The end of the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, 15 minutes left in the game, they were down 28 to 9. And let me tell you, that's lights out. Game over. You can't come back from that deficit. But the Patriots did. Now, why did they? Well, because Tom Brady's the, the GOAT. 
the greatest of all time. I think he probably is. Or because Belichick's such a genius. Um, no, you know why they did? They did because the whole team knew those two things. Their whole team had complete confidence in Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And so they never lost hope. They didn't become discouraged, even though they're facing this massive deficit. They were undaunted, in fact. And that's going to be our new series, Undaunted. It's a powerful word. We thought about calling it persevering, but persevering sounds almost too much like slug it out. It's not going to be very happy, but you just do the right thing anyway. Undaunted is this positive, powerful concept that speaks to the heart of the person. So the definition for undaunted is this. Not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. Okay, listen to that again. Not not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. What we want to do in this series is just raise the, the water level on all of our hearts when it comes to this whole concept of undaunted. Because we want to be a people that face life and face the difficulties of life without backing off, without shying away, without giving up hope. And just as the Patriots, I mean, they had, they had Brady and Belichick. So they're saying, well, if Brady and Belichick are for us, then who can be against us? <laughs> you know, there's a Bible verse like that, except here's how it really goes. If God is for us, who could be against us? So the Patriots have the trinity of Kraft, Belichick, and um, Brady. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the eternal God who created the world, who redeemed us, and he says, I am for you. So whatever you're facing, when you focus your heart in confidence on who God is, you know, what he's doing, and you trust him, then you can be undaunted. You can live a life undaunted. And it does not sound sweet. Does that sound good? It does sound good, I think. Now, Jesus, Jesus lived an undaunted life. There was one place where it says that, um, and actually this happened at the northernmost point of Israel. It happened at a place where conquering generals, it was a valley, where conquering generals came through and then would come down into Palestine to, to conquer that whole region, which happened many times over the centuries. And Jesus is right at that point of entry for the conquering general. And it says that he turned and set his face for Jerusalem. And the old King James Version says, he set his face like flint, meaning he's set on this. He's determined. Nothing's going to stop him from going to Jerusalem where he is going to conquer sin and death and darkness and the kingdom of darkness in this world by dying on the cross. And so Jesus is the victor. And here's what he said the night before he died. He was talking, giving this to his apostles. It's John 16, 33. And um, we're going to have this one verse up on the screen, okay? Now, I shared a couple weeks ago that we're going to have fewer verses on the screen because I really want us to start bringing our Bibles. I think it's just a wonderful thing 
bring your Bible. You can write in the margin. You can put notes in the back. Uh, or at least bring an electronic version of it. That's fine, too. Br- you know, bring your, bring your uh, phone with a Bible on it or an iPad. But this verse, I want, you to, I want you to see this one. Jesus said this. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So this is after an evening together. They've had the Last Supper. Uh, he's served them communion. For the, he washed their feet, taught them so many things on this evening. And then he concludes it all by saying, what I've just taught you for the last two, three, four hours, I've given this to you so that you can live in this troubled world with peace in your heart because I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is saying here that we will have trouble in this world. And the word trouble here is a word, Greek word that means crushing. It speaks to outside forces coming together to push something, to, to constrain it, to crush it. And so outside circumstances come into our lives and pressures that impact us internally. That's what, that's what he's talking about here. So it could speak to any variety of things. But he says here, you're going to have these in this world. Now, does that mean God's saying, well, look, I'm going to give you trouble. I'm going I'm to make trouble for you in this world. No, that's not what he's saying. The reason we have trouble in this world is it's a fallen world. Okay, it's a broken world. And it is resistant to the things of God. It's resistant to the kingdom of God. Jesus came, God's son, representing the fullness of of God here on earth brings the kingdom of God. And what did the world do to him? Crucified him. Jesus said in another place, if they treated me this way, what do you think they'll do to you? And so the troubles are on on different levels. There's just trouble by being in a fallen world, broken world. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, we know uh, trouble and tragedy strikes everyone in this world because of the brokenness in the world itself. But when you take up the cause of Christ and you press into the world, then there is not only just the normal troubles of the world that people face, but there is also the resistance of the world system and the one who runs the world system and still has great influence behind the scenes, Satan. And so we're going to face trouble in this world. We have to just get that into our minds. If I have the expectation... That, well, I'm a Christian now, God's going to save me from all trouble, all problems. Man, if I have that expectation, I am going to become discouraged and despondent and very likely angry at God because he didn't do what I thought he was supposed to do. And so we have to understand this, that there's going to be hardship in this world, but it's worth it. Because Jesus says this, he says, take heart. Take heart. That's a word that could be just as easily translated. Be undaunted. Don't let this trouble that you're going to face in this world intimidate you and cause you to give up, cause you to draw back. Be undaunted because you you can walk in my peace. And earlier in this night, Jesus said, I'm going to give you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. And peace isn't simply the absence of conflict. Biblically, peace is the presence of confidence. Really, peace and undaunted are pretty close. 
Because peace is just a sense of well-being about life that no matter what I'm facing, what's happening, I have this sense of confidence in my heart. Again, like the Patriots, down 28 to 9, they weren't despairing. They, they had confidence. They had confidence in someone that they were working with. And you and I need to understand, God is real, and he is alive, and he is powerful, and he is working in our lives. And we can have confidence in him no matter what we're facing. We don't have to give in or give up or become filled with anxiety and fear. Peace. He says, I give you peace. And earlier, Jesus even said this, I'm giving you my joy. Now, not my joy, his joy. Okay, that's why he could, that's why Paul, the Apostle Paul, could say later in letters that he wrote, Rejoice always. And again, I say, Rejoice. He said, Whatever your circumstances are, give thanks to God. Now, he wasn't saying, Thank God for the car accident, thank God for the sick spouse, thank God for, thank God that you lost. No, he's not saying that. But he's saying, Even in the midst of those hard things, God is good. And you know him. And he's right here with you. So, God, you're good. Even though what just happened in my life isn't good, we're going to make it through this because you're with me. And I trust you. And I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to walk in your peace. And I'm going to have a thankful attitude just because I know you. And so this whole concept of undaunted is this powerful, positive, wonderful thing that will bear so much fruit in our lives as as we walk it out over the years. But we do face pressures. There's no question about that. And I have no doubt that there are people here today that that came here feeling like quitting, feeling like it's too much. I can't go on. It, It might be feeling like quitting a marriage. And, and well, you know, my spouse isn't beating me or has not had multiple affairs or anything like that, but it's just too hard. Communication is too hard. Or, or someone might feel like they should quit, just give up on parenting. You know, my kids don't listen to me anyway. Let them do what they want to do. I'm going to re- retreat into my own heart and into my own world. Some people just feel like giving up on life. Any Seinfeld fans? Yeah, you might recognize this episode where George got fired, but he got three months severance pay in the process, and he declared it the summer of George. And so, <laughs> I kind of like this ring of that. So he, uh, so the next scene, he shows up at Jerry's house, who's the star of Seinfeld, in his sweatpants and a sweatshirt. And Jerry says, what? You're coming out in public in sweatpants? He says, what you're doing right now is you are declaring to the world, you are saying, world, you win. Life, I give up. I quit. I have no ambition any longer in life. And I think it's possible for maybe some of us here right now who have been thinking or living this way, just going through the motions. I'm, I'm going I'm to protect myself. I'm not going to take risk. I'm not going to extend my heart. I'm just going to protect myself. I'm not going to press into any deeper relationship with my wife or my husband or my children. Uh, I'm going to go to the job, and I'm just going to do the bare minimum of what I need to do to keep my job. And so some of us have thought about quitting, just quitting in life itself. And what, what we want to say today is one of the things I want to say is this. We should never 
ever, ever quit simply because we're discouraged. We should never quit simply because we are disappointed. We should never quit because we're angry or frustrated. I'm not saying there's never a time to quit, but that should be based upon values and clear thinking and time and prayer and counsel from outside my situation that can see things I can't see. And so when we live an undaunted life, then difficulty is not going to be the thing that's going to, uh, that's going to push us down and, and take the life out of our hearts. So for these next several weeks, we're going to choose a different character from the Bible to talk about uh, this whole idea of undaunted. And then the first week of March, we're going to have uh, a, an interview here with a young woman from our church, Mary Weinberg, who is an Olympic athlete who won a gold medal in the Olympics. And she has a fantastic story of being undaunted in life. So we'll have that service where we are interviewing her. But uh, for today, the character we want to focus on is the Apostle Paul. And he was an unusual man. He was um, the most highly educated of Jesus' disciples, no question about that. He, he, he learned under the, the greatest religious teacher of the day, a man named Gamaliel. There are people today that look back on Paul's life and look at his writings in the New Testament and just say the man was a genius. That he understood how to think so clearly and so well that he probably was one of the smartest men of his time. And, and one of the most powerful leaders of his time. And yet, being so highly educated and so intelligent, Paul missed on the most important thing in his lifetime. And in fact, in all of history. Because Paul looked at Jesus and he thought Jesus was an imposter. He thought Jesus was a fake. He thought Jesus wasn't real. He's just another one of these fake messiahs to the point that he, once Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came and he sent his believers out empowered in the, in the power of the spirit to go out and to, to spread the gospel, the kingdom, the apostle Paul resisted that. And, and he, had, he had Christians killed and put in prison until one day Paul had this dramatic experience with Jesus. And this is after Jesus is in heaven. So we're going to read this. It's, in, it's uh, in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible or if you have an electronic version of it, turn there with me, okay? It's a few verses long. But it really describes Paul's experience. Acts 26, verses 9 through 18. So Acts 26, 9 through 18. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to a king named Agrippa. And here's what he says. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul was complicit in the first martyrs of the church. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of those occasions, one of those journeys, 
I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, which was the language of the day, and he calls, speaks to him in his Hebrew name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What he meant by that, kicking against the goads, is, Paul, you're on the wrong side of history right now. You're going against the flow of history. That's hard. You don't want to be there. And he says, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to pick a kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Okay, hardship right there. If he needs rescue, that means there's going to be pain and hardship. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that powerful, that last statement? I mean, I read that. I've sent you to turn them from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to God, so that they can have an inheritance in the life that God brings to this world. I read that, and that's that's a profound way to state the, 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 the commission we have to advance the gospel and the kingdom of God in this world. It just makes me think, I want in on that. I want in on that. I want to be part of that. That sounds like the greatest mission the world has ever seen. Maybe the most risky too, but I want to be part of it because it's worth it. Look at the, look at the outcome. It's worth it. And so Paul, Paul receives this, this revelation from Jesus, and it totally turns his world upside down. Everything that he's known, all the plans he's had, the, the political network he was associated with, and he was climbing the ladder fast, all of that's gone. And it's all laid at the feet of Jesus, and he just completely gives himself to Jesus from this moment on. Now, in another place earlier where the event is recorded earlier in the book of Acts, Paul actually, we find out he was blinded by that bright light. And they led him by the hand to a home in Damascus. And God spoke to this man, Ananias, and he said, Ananias, I want you to go to this house and I want you to give these words of prophecy to this man, Paul. And Ananias is afraid. He said, isn't that the guy that's ravaging the church? And Jesus says, yeah, he has been, but you're going to go because he's a chosen vessel of mine. And I want to show him the great, he's going to preach to kings. He's going to travel around the world and promote and and share the gospel and in power. And I'm going to show him the things he's going to suffer for the sake of my kingdom. Now you come back to this idea of Jesus. Don't be undaunted. In this quest to take the kingdom into the world, you have to be undaunted because there's suffering that comes. And once again, not God causing him to suffer, but just the fact that he's pressing into the world, following Jesus. They rejected me, Jesus said. They did this to me, they'll they'll do it to you. Not everyone, but many. 
And there's the enemy there that is bringing pressure and hardship all, all along the way. And so Paul knew this, and yet Paul persevered, and he had the ability. I mean, Paul was undaunted, believe me. He was undaunted. He never gave up. He kept going. And when he said, rejoice in all things, be thankful in all things, he wasn't just parroting words that he had read somewhere else. He wasn't just giving a nice little platitude. He had practiced that in his own life. On one occasion, Paul was thrown in prison, beaten first, thrown in prison, and he and Silas, who was his partner at that time, are in prison, and it's, it's midnight, and they're singing hymns. They're singing and praising God, even though they had just been beaten, and they're lying there without anyone treating their wounds. They're, they're lying there in this prison cell or sitting up against that cold wall, and they're singing and they're rejoicing. So Paul knew what he was talking about when he said that. He was undaunted in life. Noth, nothing slowed him down. And so you, you look at that, and well, the, the whole thing starts immediately after Ananias leaves, and, and when Ananias prophesied to Paul and prayed over him, something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see. So what's Paul do now? First thing he does, he gets up, he walks out on the street and starts gathering a crowd, telling them Jesus is really the son of God. And he just starts moving through the city, telling people, hey, I used to think that he was a, I used to think he was a, a, a charlatan. He was really the son of God and you can know him. And he starts doing that. Now, the very people that had been his partners before, the people that had applauded him before now become his enemies and they set a plot to kill him immediately. This happened right at the beginning. And the only way he could get out of the city alive was for his friends, his new friends, to put him in a big basket. They tied a rope to it and they swung him out a window and they lowered the basket to the ground over the city walls so he could escape. But that was just the start of it. There's one place in the New Testament where Paul talks about the things he suffered. He says, I received 39 lashes five times. If you've seen the passion of the Christ, you remember what they did to Jesus when they tied him to that pillar. 39 lashes. The reason it was 39 was in theory 40 would kill you. And so we're going to stop short of killing you. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods. That would be like a couple people standing beside you with broomsticks, just beating on you and beating on you and beating on you. He was beaten with rods three times. He goes on to say that, well, he was stoned. He was stoned just once, but they left him for dead. They dragged him out of the city, threw him in a, in a, in a, in a garbage heap, and left him for dead. He might have been dead and been resurrected. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of question about that. We don't know. But he was stoned. He was uh, shipwrecked. New Testament gives us a record of one shipwreck he was in. But he was shipwrecked three times. Three times shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night floating in the Mediterranean Sea waiting to be rescued on one occasion. And then it goes on, he says he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was sleepless. He traveled through territory where there were bands of marauding robbers, and he was constantly being threatened. And so Paul knew what it was to face difficulty. He knew what the goal was, and he knew how to be undaunted in the process. And so today, uh, just just for these next few moments, we're going to look at a couple of the things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul about being undaunted in life. 
We, I, I could come up with 20 things he said in the New Testament that would fit this perfectly. But what I'm going to limit it to are just a couple of things that have really impacted my life personally. And, and one of those, in fact, uh, the, the first one is this. It's <clears throat> the value and place of duty. The value and place of duty in our lives. Now, let me define duty for you. Duty is doing the right thing for the right reasons, whether I feel like it or not. Okay, that's duty. I'm going to do the right thing right now. I don't feel like it, but I have the right reasons in my mind, so I'm going to do the right thing. That's duty. And here's what the Apostle Paul said about that. One point, he's talking in 1 Corinthians 9, this is verse 17. And uh, 1 Corinthians nine seventeen. if you're looking it up, he talked about him being commissioned to preach the gospel. And so Paul says this, he said, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Now, when he says, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. What he means is he knows he has the value, the call of God in his life to preach the gospel. And he's saying, well, the, the, when I'm really into it, when I'm excited about it, when I'm, when I'm feeling joyful about it, and I stand up and I preach the gospel, the reward is in the very act of preaching it. Because when you get to do something that is significant and important and you really want to do it, it you, it's just great to do it. Does that make sense? The reward is in the doing of this thing. But then he goes on and he says this. If not voluntarily, then I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. So he's saying, when I'm not really into it, when I'm not really excited about this, but I say, this is the right thing. My values tell me I'm going to do it. He says, that's duty. And so I think in our culture today, we're misunderstanding the value of duty. And I think there's this sense that, well, if I do it out of duty, then I'm not being genuine. I'm not being authentic. And you shouldn't ever do anything out of duty. You should, just, you should just serve out of love and joy and happiness. And yes, that's right. That's true. But we all come to places where the love and the joy and the happiness has been drained out of us. It might be as simple as you haven't been sleeping well lately for whatever reason, and you're tired, and you're weary, and your mind is playing tricks on you, and you're not seeing things clearly, and you want to quit at that moment. I want to tell you, duty is the thing that will bridge you across that, that chasm. And if you don't, if, if, if at that moment you just drop out of the picture... Then, then when you come to, when you get a, when you get a few nights sleep, when you come to your senses at some point in time later, you're going to say, why didn't I just continue? Why didn't I keep going? But this idea of duty, it's not, it's not inauthentic to do what's right. You see, like, like some people would say, well, if I don't feel like it, then I'm being, I'm not being real. No, there's a difference between our emotions and our values, Authenticity is me acting on the basis of my values, not my momentary emotions. My emotions will go up and down, but my values, once I have solidified, my values are consistent. And so duty fits in when you're hitting a hard point. 
and and you don't you just you know you're not just you're just not like romantically in love with your wife at this moment for some reason maybe it's you know the ups and downs of life and by the way if you're a young person looking forward to getting married it happens you get married in this emotional high over the years you go you hit high points and low points and sometimes day to day you hit high points and low points but that doesn't mean that you don't have this value for this rock-solid commitment you've made to your wife or your husband. And you're going to love them whether you feel like it or not. You, I mean, you can all identify with the baby when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night with a poopy diaper. Have you ever, have you ever seen when they have real squishy stuff come out and it goes <laughs> all the way down their legs in between their toes and you just want to fill the bathtub... You take everything off of them and throw it away. Well, that might be what you do today when our kids were little. You did not throw it away. You washed it and saved it. But, like, you don't get up thinking, oh, isn't he so cute? This is so worth it to have a baby in the house. I have to get up at 5 o'clock tomorrow and go to work. But I'm so happy I get to change this diaper right now. No, what are you doing? Your emotions are not with it. You, are, you have a value. You have a duty. And that duty carries you through those times. And, and so to know that and to understand that, and that's okay, will enable us to bridge the gap when the, when the emotions are, are not there. It's like duty is like a safety net, okay? You don't want to operate on duty every moment of every day. If that's the case, then there's, you know, you you search your heart and you find out why isn't there more joy in this. But duty is a safety net. When you hit rock bottom and you don't know what to do, duty carries you through. And it can be not just at a moment, it can be a season. Sometimes there's a seasonal life you go through where where it's hard. and, and, And rather than giving up, you stick with it. Why? Because... You know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you have complete confidence in them. They're able to manage this. And things are going to get better. And, and I'm not going to lose hope because I know them. They're, they're on my team. And we, can, we, can, we continue them because of that. I, I can tell you there have been seasons of time when in this church's life we've gone through hard things. And, uh, and I've sat right there right beside my wife before the sermon thinking, I do not want to preach. I don't want to go up there. I'm thankful I'm not in one of those seasons right now, okay? I don't, I don't have anything to say. Why would anyone want to come and listen to me? You know, I'm a loser, on and on and on the thing goes. And yet, when it came right down to it, duty carries. Duty wins the day. And there have been times I've gotten up and I've walked up here, and in the walking up here, most of the time, I would sense God's presence. And, and the thought, things I had thought that week about preaching would come to me and I'd give a message. And maybe it wouldn't be the best message I'd ever given, but it blessed people and, it, and encouraged their hearts. And sometimes maybe it was the best I'd ever given. But then at the end of the message, I would walk back down and from here to there, I'd get depressed again. But duty carries you through those moments. And yet we have to know that. We have to be willing to walk that out because otherwise you hit that moment and you just say, I'm done. I can't do it any longer. Now, I had this kind of bred into me 
And many of us here, I think, probably are like that. I talked to a few people uh, between services. My dad had this mantra about going to work. And he said this many times over the years. You always go to work. He said there are only two reasons you don't go to work. He, well, he, he said things like this. If you were up all night the night before, you go to work. Doesn't make any difference. He said this. The two reasons you, can't, you don't have to go to work are, one, if you're in the hospital. That's a good reason. And the second one was, if you have a freshly broken leg. <laughs> he said, if it's been a week or two, then you're healed up enough. You get up out of bed and you go to work. And so to me, that was just something that's just kind of like it's a fallback thing. There's this idea, duty is a good thing. Now, if you weren't raised that way, if maybe what you saw was the opposite of that or somewhere in between, we can pray that into you, okay? <laughs> what you need to say is, God, I want duty in my life. I, want, I don't want to operate on duty every moment of every day because I want it to be a joy and you want it to be a joy. But I want an undergirding foundation of duty that's going to keep me going when I don't feel like I can keep going or I just don't want to keep going, okay? So we'll, give, we'll have prayer for that at the end of this service. But here's the second thing, and, um, and it, it is, it's really powerful. We need to know the power of prophetic words. We learned this from Paul, the power of prophetic words. Here's what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. Paul said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, and he had given him some instructions about being faithful and keep on going. He says, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by the prophecies, you might fight the good fight. Get that, think, that, th- think of that phrase, fight the good fight. We're not fighting with other people, not that fight, the good fight. Is, is the fight to keep on going, to be undaunted in life. Let's all say that together. Fight the good fight, okay? Ready. Some of you are so eager. That's, someday I'm going to figure out how to do this. One, two, three. Fight the good fight. Now turn to the person beside you and say, fight the good fight. So Paul said one of the ways we do that is by remembering prophetic words that have been given to us. Uh, The gift of prophecy is God speaking into the moment. God saying something to a person in the moment. And the very first time Lori and I were exposed to public prophecy, um, 200 other pastors in the room, and they, they focused on us right at the beginning, made us stand up, and gave us this incredible word about we're in a jet fighter and we're being launched off an aircraft carrier. And the guy that gave it to us did not know that I had, we had just resigned this church that did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And we were looking for where we were going to go next, where we could learn about the gifts of the Spirit. But he gave this powerful word to us. And then afterwards, he came to me and he said, I didn't say this publicly. He said, but I saw in that vision, I saw you land the aircraft. And then he said this, he said, that means God has vouchsafed the completion of your mission. God has vouchsafed the completion of your mission. And I got to tell you, that has carried me through some difficult days. That has carried me through times when I thought, I can't do this. What, you know, what's happening? Why, you know, uh, what, what do we do next? That's carried me through. 
because I remembered that word. That was a word from God. And those words from God, what they do is they, they ignite life in our hearts. They, they, just, they raise the water level of faith in our hearts. They remind us of God's presence. And so if you've ever received a prophetic word that was something that to, to sustain you long term, write that down. Hold on to it. Go back and review it. It's an important thing. Now, I, I, as well... The idea, not just of prophetic words, but of uh, scriptural promises. If you haven't received a prophetic word, there are Bible promises. And they're like, there are like prophetic scriptures that maybe you're reading in a, in a period where you're just hungry, for, you're yearning for God, and you need to hear from God. And this verse comes to you, and it lights your heart up. It gives you life. And you just sense God's all over it. That's, that's like a prophetic scripture. You get those, you hang on to those too. And there's one in particular that's meant a lot to me over the years. That's Psalm 2713. You can write that down. Look it up later. Psalm, or look it up now. You have your Bibles here. That's right. <laughs> Psalm 2713. It says this. I would have despaired unless, except for the fact that I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired if I hadn't believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Heaven's going to be great. It's going to be real. It should be a motivation. If we had another hour, we'd talk about that. But look, heaven here now, seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. And that promise, when we started this church and, and we had like five or six people, had no idea what was going to happen, have two kids in college, two at home. Um, how are we going to provide? What's going to happen? How's this going to, is anybody going to come? And I remember one afternoon as we were making all of our plans and, and, and in the process of launching, lying on the couch and I'm thinking all of those thoughts, you know, is this going to happen? Uh, and couldn't happen. I can't see that, you know, how God, I know you said to do it, but, and in the midst of all this turmoil in my mind, I remember pointedly standing up and saying out loud, I reject all those thoughts. God, you have called us to this and you are going to make it happen. And I'm going with you and I'm going to trust you. Now that was a declaration that I made. It was based upon the truth of what God was doing in my heart. A verse like this, you can do that with God. I'm going to see your goodness in this land, in this world, in this lifetime. You're going to, you're going to use me and I'm going to see it. You have an impact for your kingdom. And when, when we do that, it just lights our hearts and lifts us up and gives us strength. So pretty cool stuff, huh? Yeah. Um, Apostle Paul said this. He made a declaration once. In 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13, he said, I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against, against that day, until that day. I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which, I, what did he commit to him? His whole life. I've committed to him until that day, the day of Jesus' return. So he was looking ahead to heaven, but he was also making that declaration right now. So scriptural declarations, prophetic scripture, prophetic words uh, have a powerful impact on our lives. So let's live undaunted lives, okay? Let's all say that together. All right, wait, wait. 
I'll count to three, and this is a long sentence, so I'm going to repeat it. Let's live undaunted lives. All right, ready? One, two, three. Let's live undaunted lives. All right, cool. So um, we're going to receive our offering right now. This is one way to do what Paul said. You know, I've committed my life to him, committed myself to him. When we give, what we're saying is, you, you are it, God. You're everything. Uh, you're, you're my everything. I trust you. So do this. There's a basket on the left. Pick it up. Put $1,000 in it. And then pass it down the aisle, okay? And the ushers will collect them. <clears throat> now, some of you were here last month when we had communion. Um, if you weren't, you can go back and listen to the message from the first Sunday of January. And in it, I talked about healing as it relates to communion, and particularly the bread. We emphasized the bread because Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And in the ministry of Jesus, there were occasions where people touched Jesus and they were healed. They, they, a woman fought through a crowd one time just to touch the hem of his garment and power flowed out of his body and healed her. Now, when we take the elements, the bread which represents his body, and the cup represents the blood of Jesus, which he shed for the forgiveness of our sins. When we touch that little wafer, that little cracker, that's unleavened bread. And Jesus said, this is my body. So it is a touch point of faith. It's not magic, nothing like that. It is a, but it is a touch point of faith, like that woman reaching out and touching the hem of Jesus' garment. And people are healed when this happens, when we're knowledgeable of the fact that it brings healing. Now, in the first service, there were at least four or five people that said they were healed of something last month when we did this. And I want to ask now, how many here received some form of healing when we received communion? You were here a month ago, and you received some healing in your body or in your heart or mind or whatever. How many? Okay. One, two, others? Others? Anybody else? Okay. All right, good. So I just remind you of this. That's awesome. Way to go, guys. Um, I remind you of this. When we come to this, come with expectation, all right? And uh, we, we come with expectation to worship first through communion and then worship through song. It's going to be a powerful, powerful morning. I'm going to invite the, uh, the servers to come down. And Father God, thank you for... Let's all stand together, okay? You can sit anytime you want to. Go to the back and worship. Wait until communion's over before you come up to the front. If you come to the front, come come up to the edge here so other people can fit in behind you. But um, Father God, thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for us. You called us. You gave you give us joy and peace. You send us out into the world to bring your kingdom to others. We want to do that. Thank you, now, Jesus, that we can we can touch you. We're going to be in your presence this morning as we, as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen.
right now. And, and that's, that's, that's a biblical concept. When we worship, it blesses his heart. And he so often just responds by pouring his presence out on us like today. So if you're here and, this, and, and, and you don't know Jesus or you've never experienced, you know, there's something more than just human emotion happening in the room right now. It's God's presence. And if you're feeling touched by that, it's because he loves you. And if you don't know him, it's because he wants to know you. And if you do, it's because he wants to bless you, okay? So, um, you know, our mission as a church is centered around several things, with power evangelism, worship like this in the presence of God, prophetic ministry, healing, uh, freeing the oppressed. These are all part of the mission of this church, and we will complete our mission, okay? We're going to complete God's vouchsafed it. He said, I guarantee it. And so I want to pray this right now. Just keep the lights as they are. But I had this sense that there were people here today that are just really gripped by fear of some kind. And um, I'm going to ask you, if that's the case, just be brave. Just be bold. Raise your hand, okay? Just keep it up. Now look around. Someone close to them, put a hand on them on their shoulder, ask them up first if it's okay. And then I'm going to pray this time, okay? So fear is not of God. Fear is not something God wants us to have. So right now, in Jesus' name, we declare the freedom of Christ over every person who just raised their hand over fear. And we say, fear be gone right now. In Jesus' name, get out. You can't stay. You are defeated have no grip on a child of God and we just speak right now freedom and boldness an undaunted spirit, an undaunted heart that will face life with courage and joy and peace in Jesus name Amen, Amen Cool, wow uh, Boy, you know when when God does stuff in your life it's so so much such a blessing to us to know about it, so come up and tell us afterwards We're going to have our prayer teams down here, and I want to encourage you to come up and really press in to healing today. And uh, on this side, right over here on your right, anybody who's never received a prophetic word, but you would like to take a shot at that, come up here. We'll have some of our people that are particularly gifted in giving prophetic words here. Just a, a brief word and a brief prayer. Then from here, this direction will be the normal prayer teams. Come up here for healing prayer, any other needs that you have. But especially if you were baptized last week, then I really want to ask you to come up here and come over to this side for a prophetic word, okay? Or if you've just never received one, it stirs your heart like nothing you've ever experienced before. So, um, awesome. Am I missing anything? No. Okay, good. All right, so, uh, Father God, thank you for your goodness. You are good. Let's say it together. You are good. Yes, he's a good father. We're going to trust you this week. We're going to walk with you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to see you. We'll see you next week.